Recording in progress. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Daily Power Parsha, Thursday, January 20th, 2022. One, two, oh, two, oh, two, two, I think is the date. I think I got that right. Okay, so it's great to see you all. And it's great to have a chance to study Torah again with you on this beautiful day. Um, okay, Parsha this week is Yisro. Yitro. And the main theme is the giving of the Torah at Sinai. So yesterday we read about the preparations for the Torah giving on Sinai. We read about the dialogues that were going on, the negotiations, not negotiations, whatever, God's communication with Moses, Moses to the people, the people back to Moses, Moses back to God, and all that stuff. We also read about how Three days, for three days, the Jewish people were meant to be preparing themselves, cleansing themselves, purifying themselves for the experience. How when the day arrived, there was thunder and lightning and all of this spectacle. And now the reading that we're going to do today, reading number six, actually has the Ten Commandments, a.k.a. the Decalogue. I think we read that somewhere, the Decalogue, which I kind of like that, uh, that phrase. Okay, it seems like Miami. I hear Decalogue, I'm like, oh, yeah, Miami. That's how the design is. I know that's Art Deco. I know. I'm just saying, like, Decalogue is kind of... Okay. Let's, <laughs> let's jump in. All right, sixth reading. Exodus chapter 19, verse 20. So the Lord descended upon Mount Sinai to the peak of the mountain, and the Lord summoned Moses to the peak of the mountain, and Moses ascended. This gives us, this verse is well discussed in Kabbalah and Hasidic philosophy, how at this moment of divine revelation, God descends, right? So the Lord descended, God goes down, so to speak, and Moses ascended, Moses goes up. This is how heaven and earth come together. It's by the divine coming down and by the earthly, the mundane, going up. These are the two modalities of our service of God. On the one hand, we elevate ourselves up to God. We climb the mountain, so to speak. At the same time, we bring God down to us. What are these two approaches? So I'll explain. Kabbalah and Chassidus explains that prayer is an experience of climbing the mountain. Remember, we talk about the ladder of prayer, right? We've talked about that before, climbing the ladder, different rungs, four rungs, four parts of prayer. So prayer is all, avodah is all about climbing, striving, elevating, ascending. So prayer is. Prayer is like a fire, which is ascending. It's called in Kabbalah and Chassidus. It's momata lamayla, from below to above. And when we do a mitzvah, a mitzvah, performing a mitzvah is melmayla lamata, from above to below. Because every mitzvah is a divine command that we are integrating in our lives. It's basically coming from Hashem. It's God's command that we, are, that we are integrating. So God says, this is good food for you. This is holy food. And then we eat it. So we're taking kind of divine energy, bring it into ourselves. We're taking a divine value and inculcating into our lives and, and, and integrating into our personas. So that's taking heaven and bringing it down to earth. So there's elevating ourselves, and then there's bringing, bringing the divine below. Both of these directions happen. God descends, Moses ascends, and that is 
where heaven and earth meet. Let's continue. The Lord said to Moses, go down. Just when Moses climbs up the mountain. Oh, time to go down. <laughs> go down and warn the people, lest they break the formation to go near to the Lord to see, and many of them will fall. In other words, go down once again, warn the people not to get too close to the mountain, not to try to climb the mountain. Don't break their formation. They were, they were encamped around Around the mountain, you ever see uh, stampedes? People are rushing toward, you know, the stage or whatever it is. This is like, don't warn the people. Be very careful. Don't get too close. Don't try to get a better view. Don't get too close to try to see. Because if that happens, then many of them will fall. It's not going to be good. Fall meaning perish. Let's continue. And also God says to Moses, the priests who go near to the Lord shall prepare themselves, lest the Lord wreak destruction upon them. If anyone is getting a little bit closer than others, they have to know they have to be ready and prepared. Okay, um, so let's take a quick look at Rashi. Um, yeah, warn them. What's the warning? Not to go up the mountain. Lest they break their position, their ranks, because of their longing uh, for God to see him. And they move too close to the side of the mountain. The, the danger here is people wanting to get a better view. They want to get closer. They want to see. They want to experience. They want to touch. That's going to be a problem. Many of them will fall. Um, even a single person, to me, it is considered as if many have fallen. Even if one person gets too close, it's still problematic. The priests, Rashi explains, priests, what kind of priests are we talking about here? Not Kohanim. I don't believe that distinction had yet been made. This is referring to the firstborn, who at that point were going to perform the divine service. Remember, this is before the sin of the golden calf, when the firstborn officially lost their privileges and it went to the Kohanim, to the tribe of Levi, who didn't participate in the in the a golden calf service. So when he talks about the priests here, before Sinai, before the sin of the golden calf, Rashi says it means the firstborn also shouldn't get too close, even though they're going to go near to the Lord. I mean, theoretically, if it wasn't taken away from them to offer up sacrifices, they too shall not rely on their importance to send the mountain just because they're offering sacrifices doesn't mean they can get too close. And um, they shall prepare themselves, be ready to stand in their position, lest the, the Lord wreak destruction and expression of a breach. He will kill some of them and thus make a breach in them, their completeness, if they get too close. Okay, so that is, that is that. That's the first part of first few verses. So now that's what God says to Moses. So Moses said to the Lord, Moses' response was, the people cannot ascend to Mount Sinai. What's the fear? They're going to get too close? They're going to touch the mountain? They can't. Why not? For you warned us, saying, set boundaries for the mountain to sanctify it. In other words, we already put boundaries, we already put the fencing around the mountain, so they can't get there. So what's the concern? But the Lord said to him, God's like, what, you're telling me how people think? You're telling me what mob behavior looks like? You're telling me what the crowd crushes? Uh, come on. There was a tragedy recently at a concert in, in Houston. Uh, you may be familiar with this. Tragedy at uh, uh, Travis Scott, I think is his name. There was a, there was a tr very, very tragic um, incident. Multiple people died um, at a concert. One of these uh, crowd crushes and, and people suffocated. They couldn't breathe, whatever it was. 
and, and literally died. So this is not talking about the crush. This is talking about ascending the mountain. I understand it's different, but there's a psychology when you have a lot of people in a place, things can happen and then get out of control very quickly. You should know, let me just uh, parenthetically tell you this, at Fabrengans, and I was at a few Fabrengans. I didn't live in Crown Heights and I wasn't in Brooklyn growing up. I was in Pittsburgh. And so on occasion, we went into Fabrengans. There were a lot of people packed in a room. And I, was I personally was never there for like Yom Kippur or Simchat Torah. But the, the stories that I've heard from people that were there, the crowds were crazy. I mean, we're talking about like crowds. And if, you know, somebody moved, there was a wave through the crowd. It's like, you know, there was, there was movement. The crowd is a living organism. It's not like a static, it's not just a bunch of people standing shoulder to shoulder. It's a moving thing, which means that at any point, it can, it can breach uh, you know, uh, some sort of what line. in Israel, Rabbi, you know, last year. Yeah, in Meron, exactly. Yeah, the tragedy in uh, Lagba Omer in Meron by the Rashbi, exactly. Which I, I you know, I, when it happened, I, I, I heard what happened, but I never really, like, you know, followed up and looked into it. I mean, the tragedy is a tragedy. Um, I don't remember. I remember the reports that there was a crush or a stampede, but I don't think at the end there was a stampede. I think... People got, I don't, I don't remember, I, I don't want to misspeak, but it was like there was a, a narrow space and it was slippery and I think people fell. I, I think that the, that the structure collapsed under the weight of the people. Or the structure, that might have been another thing, that should, maybe, maybe that's where right. that happened. I don't know, there, there's a, I don't have clarity, I, my memory is not clear and I don't remember if all the reports that come out by the time that I was, you know, when I was following that story, so to speak, I, don't, I hate calling it a story. But anyway, the point is that, that, Moses like, what? You, we put up boundaries, so no one's going to go up the mountain. And God's like, okay, just <laughs> please do me a favor. Go back. Just remind them. Remind them of how important it is that they stay back behind the barriers. All right, let's get back inside the text. Um, but the Lord said to him, go descend. Listen, Moses, I know what I'm talking about. And then you shall ascend. Okay, so basically saying, go anyway, even though you don't think it's necessary. Go anyway. Warn the people again. Remind them not to get too close. And then you shall ascend. Then come back up. You would hope that there was like, you know, on uh, ski slopes, they have um, the lifts. You would hope there's Moses with like a walking stick, you know, just climbing up the mountain. Oh, hey, Moses, you're here. Do me a favor. Go back down. I just got here. Took me a day, you know, mountain climbing. Anyway, they, well, it's all joking aside, I'm not sure how big Mount Sinai was, but it was, from, from, uh, from a mountain perspective, it was one of the smaller mountains. In fact, according to our tradition, it's a good insight uh, on its own, not even in, in, in a specific context, but Mount Sinai was the smallest of those, the local mountains in that area. It was chosen specifically because it was the smallest. There's a medrash that, is, that has been... Um, that has been captured in a beautiful kid song. What's the song, Shalom, about the mountain? But little Harsi and I did it. How does it start off? You don't know? I don't know if she made that song. Well, how does the mountain song start? Okay, so there's this. You want to sing it for the crowd? No, okay. Basically, there's a song about mountains. How the mountains were vying to have the Torah given on them. So one mountain says, I'm the tallest. God, I'm the tallest. The, mountain, the Torah should be given Torah should be given on me because I'm the tallest mountain. The other one says, I'm the widest mountain. So it should be given on me. 
But then little Harsinai, there she was, just, you know, just kind of standing by the side. You know, I'm not the biggest, I'm not the tallest, I'm not the widest, I'm not the broadest. I'm just a you know, little, little mountain. You get, uh, no, but how does that little Harsinai did it? I, I'm not going to look at YouTube now. All right, anyway, bottom line is that little Harsinai thought that she had no, he or she, I don't know, there's no gender with mountains, but that it had no chance. And Hashem said, no, you're the one, you're the mountain that I want the Torah to be given on because you're the humble mountain. I don't want any mountains bragging, oh, look at me, I'm the biggest mountain. Ah, that's not where Torah is. Torah is found in a small place. The Rebbe asked the question, if that's the case, then why wasn't it given in a valley? Why in a mountain? In other words, if the whole point of Torah is human, if, if the whole value, the lesson here is how you have to be humble when you study Torah and Torah should lead to humility and not to arrogance. If it's all about humility and being humble, so then why was there any mountain chosen? So the Rebbe explains because you still need to be a mountain. Mountain means you're, you're tough, you're strong. You still have to have confidence. You got to be a mountain. You can't be a shmata. You know what a shmata is? You can't be like... Uh, a doormat. You can't be, you know, you can't let yourself get stepped on. You have to, to have strength. You have to be a mensch. You have to be confident. Because otherwise, how are you going to get anything done in this world? You're just going to be like, I don't know. You tell me. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. You can't be too apologetic going through life. You got you to be confident. At the same time, even as you're a mountain, be a small mountain. In other words, be a mountain. But don't be an arrogant mountain. So that's the hybrid. I just say this. Because I was talking about Moses' uh, ski lift up the mountain. Look, I'm sure he didn't have a ski lift and he had a climb, but it, good news is it wasn't the biggest mountain around. So it took him, uh, took him a little less time, perhaps, than some of the other mountains. So God says to him, go back down, and then you're going to come back up. Okay, and then you shall ascend and Aaron with you. But the priest and the populace shall not break the formation to send the Lord. So Aaron also goes up the mountain a little bit, not all the way. He goes up a little bit. But the priests and the populace shall not break the formation to ascend to the Lord, lest he wreak destruction upon them. So Moses went down to the people and said this to them. And then, of course, he went back up. Let's take a look at Rashi. We uh, did a few more verses, so let's see if Rashi. Let's see Rashi. All right, the people cannot. Moses says, what's the point? They already know that they can't. I do not have to warn them, says Moses, uh, because today they have already been warned for three days. I'm, uh, because today they've already been warned for three days. I feel like that English doesn't make much sense. Whatever, they, there's no reason to warn them today because they've already been warned a few days ago and they cannot ascend the mountain since they have no permission. I think there were also some boundaries put up, as uh, God had said. But the Lord says, go anyway. Go descend and warn them a second time. Look at that. Look at that. You got to give multiple warnings, says God. We admonish a person. Admonish is not admonish. Well, admonish to me means you scolding and telling a person off. In this case, it's not admonish as um, much as it is shemezarzin. Zarzin means it's not admonish. You, you warn a person before the act he is to perform. We admonish him again at the time of the act when it is to be performed. In other words, give somebody a heads up in advance. And then at the time, you remind them again. It's like you have a meeting. So, you know, set a reminder a day before and, you know, time up. You got you to multiple, multiple touches here. Yeah, so you need a, sec a second reminder. That's what God is telling Moses. Give them another reminder. It's about to happen. Remind them not to go up the mountain. 
Um, okay. What about Aaron and the priests? Here we go. Uh, I might think that they too shall be with you. Therefore the Torah says, and you shall ascend. Consequently, I'm skipping the brackets here. Consequently, you must say that you, Moses, shall have a partition for yourself. In other words, you're going to have a perch on the mountain. Aaron shall have a partition for himself. Aaron's going to have his, another perch. And the priest shall have a, par, a, a partition for themselves, and they'll have a third perch. So up on the mountain, there were three boxes. I don't know, boxes. Three areas. You know, I, I recently saw a documentary on um, mountain climbing. Look at that. How appropriate. It was this guy who climbed, I want to say, like 14 mountains in a few months. Like of the high, the tallest mountain, like 8,000 feet mountain. Some crazy record that he broke. Like took the last guy like a, a year and a half to do. And this guy did it in like three months. Like just crazy amount of climbing. Anyway, they have like base camp. I've never done, like, so here's the deal. Like, full disclosure, I've never done mountain climbing. I'm sure you can, you know, I'm sure that's a shocker. Never done mountain climbing before. Uh, but apparently they have, like, base camp. There's base camp one or two or A or B, whatever the naming uh, sequences. And you gather there, like, the lowest base camp. That's where everyone gathers. Then when you climb up, there's another, you know, camp where everyone gathers. Something like that. So there were, there were different camps. Moses was, at the, was toward the top or at the top. Aaron was lower and the, the priests were even lower they were all kind of on the mountain to one extent or another the, the rest of the people were outside joy did you want to jump in oh no sorry i thought i thought okay um okay anyone ever done mountain climbing just out of curiosity mountain climbing no anyone uh hang out with sherpas i think that's what the guys are called sherpa all right sherpa i think that i had a coat that once had sherpa Sarah, you... Oh, nice. Oh, that's yeah. awesome. Yeah. I heard a great story about base camp, too, about this. These, can I tell it real quick? I'll be super fast. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, we got time. Okay. Yeah, so um, these two, you know, mountaineers were out there, like, in their 20s, and uh, one guy falls through this. They're ice climbing. Right. And he falls through this ice cavern. And um, his buddy decides to cut him off. You know, he, he, anyways, it was controversial for him letting him go. But so the guy breaks his leg and he's climbing out with these ice picks because he didn't want to, like, die alone on the mountain. And so he, he just crawls back. You know, he sets points for himself and he's, like, in pain and hallucinating and stuff. No food, wow. no water. It was just a crazy story about the human spirit. Just so he could get back to the base camp. He was like, if I die when I get back to base camp, it would have been fine as long as I wasn't alone. Wow. That's, that's wild. That's crazy. I mean, that's such that an extreme. Sick. Yeah. That's it such a, a good story. That's a, that's a wild story. Yeah. I remember there was, I mean, I just, just th I, that reminded me of this. Remember the story a few years ago, about the guy who was climbing and then he, his arm got stuck and he had to like, all right, whatever. We don't need to. T yeah, yeah. 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 I'm sorry. But it's, it's, an, it's, an, it's an intense thing. You're dealing with, especially with the ice, you're dealing with, um, you know, avalanches and it's not, just, it's not just indoor rock climbing. That I've done, right? But it's, this is, that's not that. This is the real deal. Anyway, back to our, uh, back to our Mount Sinai climbing. So Rashi says like this. Rashi says, consequently, uh, no, where are we... Um, so Moses went closer than Aaron, and Aaron closer than the priests. 
But the people shall altogether not break their position to ascend to the Lord. So again, we have now four positions. And it's, it's, it should be crystal clear. Four positions. The people, the general, general populace, are to be positioned around the mountain, but not, not too close, not on the mountain for sure. The priests, a little bit on the mountain, maybe at the bottom of the slope. I don't know. I don't know exactly where. Aaron, a little bit higher. Moses, at the top. That's the way this was to be divided. Uh, the rest is grammatical stuff in Rashi over here. Okay, let's continue. So Moses went down. To the people said this to them. Rashi says, the warning. He gave them the warning about um, not climbing the mountain. Let's toggle Rashi off. And I think we're ready. I think we're ready. Buckle up. Ten Commandments begin now. Exodus chapter 20, verse number one. By the way, I, I will mention the Shabbos. Of course, we read this in the Torah. It's an appropriate time, Shabbat, to come to Shul, if you can make it, and hear the Ten Commandments. Read from the original. Kind of cool, kind of a cool experience. All right, Exodus chapter 20, here we go. God spoke all these words. Mm, I don't know. To respond. I'm not crazy about that translation. I, uh, let me explain why that's, what this means, to respond. This is an attempt to translate the Hebrew word lemar. Lemar is a problematic word. Why is lemar a problematic word? Lemar means, literally lemar, this Hebrew word, lemar means to say. Um, every time the Torah, pretty much every time God tells something to Moses, it says, Vayidaber Hashem El Moshe Lemar. God said to Moses, Lemar. To say. What does that mean? The way we understand it is simple. That God told this to Moses to repeat, to say, lemar, to say over, to deliver to the Jewish people. So it wasn't a personal conversation. It's not like God told this to Moses. Because if God told it to Moses, then how do we know about it? It was told to Moses. <coughs> God told it to Moses, lemar, to tell us, which is why we know about it, which is why it's in the Torah, etc. <coughs> you can imagine there were many more conversations that God might have had with Moses that aren't public knowledge, that weren't for us to know. The ones that we know, the ones in the Torah, the ones where God said, Lamar, I want you to say this over. So Lamar, so let me just hone in on this idea. The word Lamar in Hebrew, Lamar, means when you tell person A something, to repeat to person B. Problem here is, there's no person B. God wasn't telling the Ten Commandments to Moses to repeat to us. God was saying the Ten Commandments to all of us. So what's the lamer? It says, just let me just bring, bring up the screen again so you, so you see what I'm talking about. It says that God spoke all these words. Lamer. To say. I know it says to respond, but they're just trying to figure out what to do with this Hebrew word. Lamar typically means to say to someone else. Who's the someone else? Everyone was there. If God is just speaking to Moses, if it's a one-on-one -on -one conversation, and there's two million people that need to know, so God says, I want you to tell, take this, to listen, and then repeat this. But who are, we repeating, who, who are we repeating this to? So now you're going to say, I know who. This is going to be subsequent generations. This is God speaking to the children of Israel then, Lamar, to repeat it to future generations. 
right? Because everyone was there then, but this is Lamar to, re- to repeat it, to tell it over to the children and the grandchildren, the great-grandchildren for all time. Doesn't work. That doesn't work. Why? Because we have a tradition that all the souls were present for all generations, were present at Mount Sinai. So that you had people and souls and bodies, but otherwise you had souls. All Jews of all generations for all time were there. So then who are we repeating this to? What's the Lamar? God spoke these words. God said these commandments. Lamar to say. To say to who? Everyone's there. So there's a few answers that are given. I hope the question makes sense. A few answers that are given are number one. It's referring to the world at large. Right? Judaism skips to the world. Although these are ten commandments of the Torah, of the Jewish Bible, nonetheless... They have a universal impact. So lamar means to share with the world. That's one explanation. Lamar can also mean to tell it to ourselves. I'll tell you, it's one thing to hear from God, but it's another to remember it on a, on a daily basis. Right? Once upon a time, we heard this from God. Lamar means constantly repeating it, reiterating it, re-explaining it to ourselves so that we actually live by these ethos, by these values, and they don't remain stagnant uh, historical artifacts, you know, dead historical artifacts from a different time and a different era, from a different genre of existence. No, they are timeless. They are timely. They are perpetual. These are commandments that we live by. Lamar, it's a living, breathing body of law. So that's just some insights into the word Lamar, which here is translated as to respond, but again, doesn't really make much sense, at least to me in the English, what that means. Let's continue. Verse number two. This thus begins the Ten Commandments. That's the uh, quick preamble. This is what God said. And now we get into the Ten Commandments. Anochi Lekecha, I am the Lord your God, who took you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. So the first commandment seems like an int- introduction. But it's not so much, it's like, oh, nice to meet you. I'm God who took you out of the land of Egypt. It's not just an introduction. It's reminding us about, that, about the fact that there's only one God. This is the core, the basis, or the articulation of monotheism. Of course, the monotheistic drive was, uh, was accelerated by Abraham. He taught it to the world in his, in his time, to the people in his time. But here we have God kind of formalizing this idea and this commitment by saying, I am the one, I am, the, I am your God. I am the Lord your God. And who am I? He took you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. The question is, the question is asked in Kabbalah and Chassidus, why does God introduce himself? Why does he choose from his resume the fact that he took us out of Egypt? Why didn't he say, I am the Lord your God who created heaven and earth? You would think that creation is a bit of a bigger deal than, than redemption, than exodus. So why mention the exodus here and not creation? Many answers are given. I'll share with you just a few. Number one, because the exodus was fresh in their minds. You tell me, oh, that you're God and you created all this. Okay? All right. Maybe. Maybe not. But what have you done for me lately? You created all of this. All right. Good. Fine. You're a dinosaur. I mean, what do you want me to know? You tell, I don't mean literally, but I mean like that's, that's once upon a time you created heaven and earth. What, did you, what have you done for me lately? So God says, here's who I am. I'm, I took you out of, the, out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. Second answer that I'll give you is what we said a few weeks ago. 
the difference between month number seven and month number one. The difference between Tishrei and Nisan, or two number one months, two first months. Creation and redemption. There's the God, there's, if God would have said, you know who I am, I'm the one who created heaven and earth. All right, so you created the box. God says, I'm the one who took you out of the box. Ah, now we're talking, now we're talking. God is now introducing himself, not as the God of nature, but the God of the supernatural. Not the God of the matrix, but the God of undoing the matrix. It's a bit of a different, a different vantage point of who and what God is. All right, let's continue with, with verse number three in the second commandment. You shall have, yes. There's a really good Rashi on this, if you want to take a look at it. Uh, let's see. Let's see, let's see. I imagine we have a lot of big Rashi's over here. Um, taking you out of Egypt is a sufficient reason for you to be subservient to me. Okay. In other words, I took you out of that slavery, so now, so now you got to listen to me. Okay, I mean, it could be misconstrued, but that's, uh, that's kind of what it sounds like from Rashi. Um, alternatively, God mentioned the Exodus since he revealed himself on the seas as a valiant warrior, and here he revealed himself as an old man full of mercy. Okay. Um, Since I changed my appearances, do not say that there are two divine domains, but I am he who took you out of Egypt, and I am he who performed miracles by the sea. The same God. Yeah, Rashi concludes, says, do not err and say that there are many divine powers. Right. Yep. Right, they heard many voices during Revelation, from all four directions. So the point is not to make a mistake and think that there are multiple deities. Good. Okay. All right, let's, let's go on to the, next, to the next verse, verse number three. And God says, you shall not have the gods of others in my presence. That's the prohibition against foreign deities, foreign gods, foreign entities, foreign we call in Yiddish getchkes, foreign uh, idols, substances. You shall not make for yourself, along these lines, you shall not make for yourself a graven image or any likeness which is in the heavens above, which is on the earth below, or which is in the water beneath the earth. So no graven images, we'll define that in a moment, no graven image of anything, of any heavenly being, earthly being, or even water being. So no, it seems like we're saying no sculptures of a star, a human, or a shark. Right? These, all, all would be problematic. But of course, the caveat here is graven image. Graven image means an image that is utilized or created for the purpose of utilizing for idolatry and idol worship. If you're creating an image of the sun to worship or to deify, that's when it becomes a problem. When you're creating an image of a human being to worship and deify, that's a problem. When you create an image of a sea creature to worship or deify, that's a problem. And if you're wondering, who makes images of sea or land or heavenly creatures to deify, uh, it's all over the place. Absolutely all over the place. Just even in modern times, but look at ancient times. I mean, pagan symbols. Think about like Greek mythology. The gods of this and the gods of that, and this one had a fish tail, and this one had a 
you know, um, a, a person, a Zeus, a this, that, the other. We're talking about deification of, 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 of entities, heavenly bodies, human bodies, physical, terrestrial creatures, uh, sea creatures. All of these things throughout our history have been deified. And here, unequivocally, in the Ten Commandments, God absolutely forbids this from Jewish practice. This is absolutely off-limits. Let's continue. You shall neither prostrate yourself before them nor worship them, which there's a nuance here. So there's, I'm going to start um, with the last one first. Don't worship them. But even if you're not worshiping them, you're just bowing down, that's also a problem. Any bowing, don't bow down, even if you're not, your intention is not to worship, bowing down itself is problematic. And God continues, For I, the Lord, your God, am a zealous God, who visits the iniquity of the fathers upon the sons, upon the third and fourth generation of those who hate me. So there is some residual negativity. Now, is this God, you know, punishing children or grandchildren for the parents or grandparents' sin? Not exactly the way we understand this in the commentaries. It's more of like, you know, someone who engages in this type of behavior, it's going to have an effect probably in a few gen- on a few generations, a perspective of, you know, what's reality, what's not reality. It's hard to undo that type of education. When you're in service of, when you're serving and worshiping, you know, physical entities, created entities, it's hard to undo that. It's going to take a few generations to undo that, possibly. God says, but I'll, I perform... in." Conversely, I perform loving kindness to thousands of generations, to those who love me and to those who keep my commandments. When we teach our children, when we, when we practice love and kindness and positivity, that goes on for thousands of generations, and that's a blessing to thousands of generations. Here we have the famous teaching of our sages that goodness far, is far more powerful than the opposite because goodness extends to thousands of generations. The opposite, negativity, only goes three or four generations. How many times more is goodness better than the opposite? So we have goodness and kindness extending for thousands of generations, and negativity, three or four. Yeah. The rebel would always talk about this. If you see something happening in the world that's negative, and it's made a tremendous impact, can you imagine how much positivity could also be created through an action as well? The Rebbe spoke about like the atomic bomb, nuclear bomb, right? Like one button, one, I mean, I don't know if it's a button, but like one, one press can, can destroy so many lives. Can you imagine, the Rebbe says, the power of one mitzvah, one little mitzvah, one seemingly little mitzvah. You press a little button, do a little mitzvah. Imagine the force of goodness that it unleashes. Right? Because because goodness is always more powerful than negativity. That's the lesson that we have here with the three and four generations and the thousands of generations. Okay, so, so far we have two of the commandments. I am the Lord your God. And the pro- so basically the belief in one, in one God and the prohibition against idolatry, creating idols, worshiping them, etc., all in one genre. Let's continue. Commandment number three. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. 
no swearing falsely in God's name, no, or no, yeah, no, basically swearing falsely in God's name. For the Lord will not hold, will not hold blameless anyone who takes his name in vain. So this is, it's not only, it's not only for like a false, you know, swearing by God's name falsely, but it's any unnecessary mention of God's name. This is why we're very careful not to utter Hashem's name casually, you know, and uh, just, you know, recreationally. In fact, the very name that we call Hashem, Hashem, Hashem is a euphemism. Hashem means the name. It's not actually God. Hashem doesn't mean God. It means the name. The name is a, a euphemism for God. But we don't use God's name. We don't take God's name in vain. The real, like, we only say it when, when praying, when reading the Torah. We don't say it actually just casually because it would be considered to be uh, taking it in vain casually. So that's commandment number three. Number four, remember the Sabbath day to sanctify it. Shabbat. What are the details? Here we go. Six days may you work and perform all your labor. So six days a week, you got to create. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. You shall perform no labor. Neither you, your son, your daughter, your manservant, your maidservant, your beast, nor your stranger who is in your cities. It should be a day of rest and no one should be doing anything creative. Now, let me explain. The definition of work doesn't mean... Oh, actually, let me finish this off. One second. Why, why, why this whole thing about Shabbat anyway? So God explains, For in six days the Lord made the heaven and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, and he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and sanctified it. So God created the world in six days and rested on the seventh. So too we are to create and work and do and accomplish and move and shake for six days, but the seventh day, day of rest. Now, to clarify something that we've talked about many times in many different contexts, the work that is prohibited on Shabbat is not necessarily manual labor or all manual labor. It's specific actions. So you can pick up a heavy piece of furniture in your house and move it from one side of the house to the other. You can move it from your upstairs bedroom to your downstairs guest room. You can move a bed, a mattress, a dresser. It's not a problem. I'm not saying you should on Shabbat, but you could. It's not a problem. So when we talk about work or labor being prohibited, it's not schlepping is not prohibited necessarily. It's specific types of work. Typically, it's understood as creative types of work. When I say creative, something in which something new is created. Sewing, knitting, writing, plowing, planting, um, winnowing. I don't even know what winnowing is, but winnowing is one of them. Um, sifting, tying, these types of things. Dying, I mean like, you know, dyeing something with a color. These are all actions that are prohibited. It's not just labor, you're allowed to do things, but it's creative types of labor and specifically as we'll, uh, we'll learn in, subsequent, in the following weeks, specifically associated with the labors, with the works that were done when, when the Jewish people were building the Mishkan, building the tabernacle. There's a close association um, with Shabbat and the building of the tabernacle, as we'll see, not, not this week, but in the, in the coming up weeks, in the upcoming weeks, where God says, build the Mishkan, build the tabernacle, but don't build it on Shabbat, which implies that if we focus on what they were doing 
when building the Mishkan and building the tabernacle, we can de- deduce what general categories of work are prohibited on Shabbat. It's not exclusive. That's just like a, a juxtaposition that can be derived. But the bottom line is that it's creative types of work that are problematic. Lighting fire, cooking, it's, you're changing something. You're creating something, changing something. On Shabbat, we're meant, if we want to go a little bit deeper, on Shabbat, we're meant to behold the world as it is, to embrace the world as it is, to realize the beauty in the world as it is, as opposed to trying to force change. Six days a week, we do that. Six days a week, change it. Six days a week, hack the code. The seventh, enjoy God's creation as is. Or more precisely, look for the inner beauty as opposed to trying to manufacture something new. In other other words, the six days a week are a masculine energy and Shabbat is more the feminine energy. And again, I think I said this yesterday or the day before, when I say masculine and feminine or feminine and masculine, I don't mean necessarily men and women because every human being has elements of masculinity and femininity. So it, it really, it's, it's for both. But Kabbalah defines things as in the masculine genre and the feminine genre. The masculine genre as defined in Kabbalah is trying to impose change, trying to change something, create something, make something different, make something new. It's basically saying this is, this is wrong, this is broken, let me fix it. That's one approach. Another approach is to say, it may look like it's broken, but I think the solution and the beauty lies within. It's the difference between trying to, like, it's kind of like that top-down model versus the bottom-up model. The top-down model is, let's impose something new. Let's impose change. Let's fix it. It's broken. Let's, let's... That's the masculine model. The feminine model is more bottom-up, which means... You, you say it's broken. I see potential here. I see, potent- I see beauty. I see beauty. It's kind of like, again, it's not necessarily moms and dads, but it could be sometimes. You know, the child is climbing on the monkey bars, right? In the playground and falls and uh, hurts their knee. So the dad's like, ah, it's no big deal. You're fine. And the mom's like, tell me what's hurting. It's, it's not, again, it's not necessarily gender. It's not... Could be the father says this, the mother says that. It could be different. I'm not necessarily saying it's a gender thing, but there are different approaches. Different approach. One approach is you're fine, it's good, whatever. It's like just top down. Let me. I'll tell you that it's fine, right? I'm I'm gonna impose my sense of it's fine on you. You're not fine. You're crying, but I'll tell you that it's fine. That's the masculine approach. I'm gonna change change you. You think you're not fine. I'm telling you you're fine, and I'm gonna say it louder than your cry. So. It's fine. I'm not saying shouting, but I'm just saying like, I'll, I'll tell, you, tell it to you until I convince you that you're fine. The other way is empathy, right? Getting to know how the person's feeling and healing it from inside out. Healing it through closeness as opposed to from imposed, something imposed from a distance. Listen, I don't mean to go on a whole rant over, not, not a rant, and a whole, uh, you know, exposition on this. It's a, it's a really well-developed topic in Kabbalah and Chassidus. We've talked about this in various contexts. We once did a Kabbalah and Coffee Sunday morning series all about this. It was called Feminine Faith. 
all about feminine, the feminine energy, masculine energy, and the distinction. But here's the short version to wrap this, to wrap this piece up. This is the difference between the six days of the week and Shabbat. Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday is more, is more aligned with masculine energy. Ah, that's broken. Ah, that's messed up. Let me fix it. Let me impose my will and my brain, my genius and my creativity and fix something. Sure, six days a week, we get to be fixers. And on the seventh, we get to know God's world. On the seventh, we get to know the beauty that's already there. Not the great ideas that we have, but the beauty that's already there in creation. It's a beautiful exercise for everyone to let go and to just be present. That's what Shabbat is. It's probably not a surprise that in our tradition, the definition, one of the descriptions of the Messianic era, Mashiach, is Yom Shekulo Shabbat. When Mashiach comes, it's going to always be Shabbat. What does that mean? Shalant every day on the menu? Kugel for days? Ay, how much can I eat already? That's not what it means. Yom Shekulo Shabbat, a day that's, a, a time that's all Shabbat means that we'll realize when Mashiach comes how beautiful the world is and we won't feel the need because it will be obviously beautiful. We won't have the need to change anything. It'll just be good as it is. Okay, it's a little bit about that. Getting, getting back inside. So that's uh, the fourth commandment. It's about Shabbat. Number five, honor your father and your mother in order that your days be lengthened on the land that the Lord your God has given you. This is the only one of the Ten Commandments that comes with the promise of a reward. It says, honor your parents, and then your days will be lengthened. It says, in order that your days be lengthened. It's almost like, do this, you'll get that. And you can even have in mind that you're doing this to get that. You want to live long? I feel like this is a book, right? Secrets to Longevity. It's one page, a one-page book. It's a very short book. Honor your father and your mother. Honor your parents. Be a mensch. Of course, honor your father and mother is not easy. And it's not just when you're young and they tell you to clean up your room. Honor your father and your mother means as they get older. It's not easy. As they get older and they have needs, now it's about honoring them and taking care of them as they took care of you when you were young. That's the understanding of this commandment. Honor your parents is not just invite them for Thanksgiving, although it's also that, but it, what it also means is when they need, when they have a need. And the Talmud gets into great, great detail on this. The Talmud says if they need help eating, dressing, getting dressed, bathing, um, going from place to place, just think about how a parent takes care of a child. All of the above. Literally, all the feeding, cleaning, uh, dressing, transporting. Parents do that for, for, for children, little children. You, you got to do that. Uh, how's, the, how's the baby going to, like, well, there's no other plan. You got, that's, it's like one of the realizations you hold a little baby in your arms is like, okay, <laughs> I got a responsibility. This is it. I mean, that's, that's, it is what it is. So, the challenge is that as human beings, we always think about forward to the next generation. Torah reminds us to also look back because at some point in time, at some point, 
when everyone gets a little bit older, our parents are going to need that same help from us. And yeah, so we, whether directly or through, uh, obviously, if you know, we can't, then we need to ha- have someone else do that, but we facilitate it, whatever it is. The point is, honoring parents is a tremendous mitzvah. And the Torah says, it comes with a tremendous reward. It's not easy, but it comes with a tremendous reward. There's uh, another understanding of this. I've shared before. Honor your parents, not in order that necessarily, in order that, but because you should know that your days will be lengthened. In other words, honor your parents when they get older because, newsflash, you're going to get older one day. And if you want your kids to take care of you, you you should probably model that for them by taking care of your parents. You with me? When your kids see how you took care of your parents when they got older, then they're going to grow up with that knowledge of, yeah, when, my, when our parents get older, we're going to take care of them. So it's, it's good modeling. It's, it's good for you also. Let's continue. Commandment number six. And you, you should know six through ten is really quick. Just boom, boom, boom. You shall not murder is number six. You shall not commit adultery, number seven. You shall not steal, number eight. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbors, number nine. And number ten is... This, you shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife, his manservant, his maidservant, his ox, his donkey, or whatever belongs to your neighbor. No coveting. That's the final mitzvah, the final, uh, the final commandment of the Ten Commandments. All right, so let's quickly recap. And... Listen, it's, we're at the time, so we're going to close it out here. There is almost unlimited amount of themes we could talk about. We could, t- we could go deep in every one of these commandments. We can show how each of these commandments is a general commandment that includes within all, uh, all of the other 613 mitzvot. Sorry. All of the 613 mitzvot in the Torah can be found somewhere in these 10 commandments. All the mitzvot can be found in the first two commandments. I am the Lord your God, don't have any other gods. Those two commandments, the positive for monotheism and the negative against polytheism, those are the those can those basically contain all of the mitzvot. We could talk about that. We could talk about the connections between one and six, commandment one and six and two and seven and three and eight and four and nine and five and ten which we've done in the past in other contexts. There's a lot that we could talk about. And maybe tomorrow we'll mention some of that. But here's what I want to leave you with. The, two, the Ten Commandments are divided into two general categories. Some of them pertain to our relationship with God. I am the Lord your God. Don't have any other gods. Don't take my name in vain. Keep the Sabbath holy. Some of them pertain to other people. Do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not commit adultery, do not bear false witness against someone else, um, do not covet someone else's stuff. So there's two categories. Bein Adam Lamakum between us and God, and Bein Adam Lachavero between us and others. And here the Torah reminds us that both avenues are critically important when it comes to being a good person. You got to take care of your spiritual connection. You also have to take care of your interpersonal relationships. Can't be one or the other. You can't be devout and devoted and, be, and not be a mensch to other people. You can't, be, you can't profess love of God when you're presiding over 
harm to other people. Are you with me on what I'm saying? Yes? I saw a headline today of a scandal that broke. I don't need to get into details. Right? It's, it's, it's not, a, not about any individual. It's about, you can't, you can't be a godly person and not care about, about, about people. You, just, you can't. It's, it's incompatible. Nor can you, from a Jewish, from a Torah perspective, nor can you care about people and, um, and what's the word I'm looking for? And um, neglect God. Either way, it's missing. Either way, there's something missing in the equation. There are five commandments or so that are about God. The fifth one is a little bit tricky because it's about honoring parents, which is interpersonal. But parents also are one generation closer to the source. They teach us about God, so it's also about honoring God. It's, it's a little bit of a, of a bridge. But approximately half the commandments are about us and God and half are about us and others, which reminds us that we need both in our repertoire. To be a good person, we have to have a relationship with our, with our source, with our creator, and we have to maintain a healthy relationship with others. Can't be a religious person. You can't be a spiritual person and rip off someone else. You can't be a holy person and not care about abuse that's happened. It doesn't work. It doesn't work. Nor is it healthy or is it, from a Jewish perspective, sufficient to just care about you know, human humanity and social causes and social justice, but to neglect the other stuff, the Jewish stuff, the ritual stuff. So yes, we have to give tzedakah and put on tefillin. We have to invite guests over for Shabbat, again, safely, whatever, and light the Shabbat candles. We need both. We need this, the, the interpersonal, the social, as well as the spiritual. Just a thought for today. All right, thank you for joining me. Make sense? Yes? Okay. Can I add one thing, Rashi? Can I add one thing? Yes, but don't, don't, I, I don't mind being called Rashi. No, no, I'm sorry. <laughs> it's okay. It, it's very, very short, it's actually, it actually applies to all the commandments. Yeah. Um, and Rashi, uh, yeah, uh, it says, uh, God, no, God says, uh, he will remember the sins. This actually talks about raving images, but it's, it gets more generalized too. He remember the sin, sin of, the sins of people uh, upon God, those who hate hate God, for four generations. Right. Because that's a, that's a, the generations keep doing the bad behavior of the fathers. But uh, who does kindness for thousands of generations for those who love me? And so the point is made uh, that uh, it's four to five hundred. If thousands, it's going to be two thousand. Right. That God is uh, shows kindness to those who perform his, his commandments uh, uh, and love him 500 times more right. than he remembers, he hates those who, who, who go against him. Right. So how, and let's end with that because it's a beautiful idea. How much more powerful is, the, is, the, is the, the force of goodness than the force of negativity? So if negativity can make such a splash, if terrorism, et cetera, can make such a splash, how much more so goodness? Now, the problem is the media doesn't cover it as much, right, as, as that. The media covers, and it, as well it should, right, the tragedies and the negativity that happens. But there's a, there's a massive neglect. I've never seen, you know, CNN and whatever, carry, you know, synagogue in Atlanta doing mitzvahs. I, I haven't seen it. I missed that headline. 
I missed that headline. In Town Jewish Academy, right? DPP going 300, 300 classes strong or whatever number we're at. I, I haven't seen the headline. I haven't seen it yet. Even though the light that's born of the Torah study and the, and the friendships and the love and the, the community that we have is certainly more powerful than any act of darkness. And yet, all right, we live in a world in which uh, people have to sell advertising. New year anniversary coming up. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we can tell if it's just because uh, now I'm interested myself. SoundCloud, March, let me take a quick look. March 16, maybe? I'm going to look at my playlist. Yeah, it's coming up. I'm going to look at my playlist and find Daily Power Parsha because that should have... Come on. How am I going to find it here? Daily Power Parsha. Okay, let's see how many we have here. These are the ones that are posted. I think we posted most of them. You know, sometimes it, the recording doesn't come out or whatever. You We're, can look after oh, the wow. date, you know, your email that you sent announcing it. No, I'm, 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 I'm looking to see how many. As of, looks like we haven't posted in a few weeks over here. As of January 11th, hmm, I don't know, we've got to get more up to date over here. We had 365 sessions of DPP. Okay. That's a lot. I mean, it should be more if you figure 365 days a year and it's two years, but whatever. However that, however the math works out. <laughs> At least 365. Listen, I, I'm waiting for the article on CNN, right? In town Jewish Academy, you know, breaks 400. Okay, it's going to happen one day. It'll happen. That's Mashiach's headlines. Um, I wanted to add yes. something. Uh, sure. You know, as you were talking about, you know, being religious and nice and all that. I just read a, an interesting article. It was about the Alara about skiing. And I was really intrigued. They had like seven points. You know, some Alara about skiing. And one of the points was that, like, you cannot, you know, give your ski pass to someone else. Um, you know, if you, you pay for yourself, you have to pay also for each individual and not like pass around the ski pass, right. you know, these kind of things. So that was interesting. Yeah. Interesting. All right. Everyone gets a ski pass then. <laughs> Gotta do it. All right. Great to see everyone. Maybe we'll do one day, we'll do a, um, IJ on the slopes. That would be fun. You have, to do, you have to send the information to the nightly news made in America. Oh, there is a thing? Oh, cool. Yeah, yeah I don't... they do positive things at the end of the news. Let's do it. Let's, uh, someone, someone take care of that. <laughs> Let me know what I need to do. <laughs> All right. We'll see you guys. That's not a bad idea, actually. All right, everyone. Have a wonderful day. Um, tomorrow, we're going to conclude with the seventh reading and the half Torah. Because I think we set this up nicely that we have uh, enough time to be able to do it tomorrow. And I look forward to it then. We'll see you guys. Have a wonderful day. Take care, everybody. Nice